This is VC Projects Podcast, and today my guest is Felix Werner, who is a producer and director. Felix, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Victoria. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I know you probably want to, I want to ask you to expand a little bit more on, on the introduction of what you do, because you do many things um, in the entertainment industry. Um, not just producing, but also financing films. And you have a film school and you have a, a digital streaming outlet, um, Piranha Vision. But, but generally speaking, how would you introduce yourself? Probably the best way to describe it would be a multi-hyphenate. I don't know if there is any kind of thing. I like dabbling in a bunch of different things. So my family had been involved in film, and so I actually wanted nothing to do with it. And then mm -hmm. I studied art history, and we can talk about that later. But I ended up getting my first job working on studio feature films. And I, I, that's a fun world to work in, but I realized it wasn't really what I was excited about. And then my wife and I started by producing independent films, but we also very quickly understood the challenges of trying to get independent films made. And so you'd mm -hmm. have to look financing side of it. So we learned that and we got involved in financing. And then uh, once you do that and you realize how tricky that can be, you realize you wanna learn the distribution side. So we acquired the small distribution company which we uh, bought and sold. And then as the independent film world was crumbling, I sort of realized I wanna try something that I've always wanted to do my way. And it was mm -hmm. to create an entity that would kind of combine all the wonderful things that are part of the new media YouTube world, and then all the things that I've learned in independent film and filmmaking. And I realized to do that, I'd need a film school to kind of explain to people because it would also be different than what was taught in traditional film schools. And so we created Watch Me Make First. And then now what I spend pretty much all of my, my media focused time on is Piranha Vision. And Piranha Vision is just like me, a multi-hyphenate. It is a production entity, it funds things. Um, we like to promote artists. We focus on independent movies, music, and art. And we particularly like to find young people who are starting out or people who deserve what we think is more recognition than they've gotten. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a marketing driven world and so some people fall between the cracks so short answer to that is yes I do a lot of different things <laughs> <laughs> it's great and we thank you for doing all those different things and helping everybody out and I know I you know we laugh about it but I actually found you on Instagram and was really impressed with her on a vision but before we kind of really get into Hirana Vision and what it is, and I'd like to find out, I knew you grew up in this, this family in the entertainment industry. You mentioned art history. What was the attraction for you to be doing what you're doing? I mean, what was the influences within your childhood? Or you talk about French New Wave. I mean, what, what was the core thing that kind of inspired you to follow this as an adult? Um, that's a good question and something I ask myself many times, you know, you grow up with a family that, that does it and I've, I've got it on both sides. So my father was an actor and my grandmother was an actor and on my grandmother's side, there are, you know, as silly as it sounds, there are nine generations of, of creative people wow. uh, back to 1786 that, that because of various reasons can be easily traced. And, you know, you grow up around it and you sometimes even have entitlement around that and think, well, I should go into that and I'm deserving. I have gone the full spectrum of, yes, thinking I should do it. And then I studied art history because I wanted at some point nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then worked at LACMA on an, on an internship, an NEA grant internship. I was also ended up working in the film department. And I realized it was really my passion. I just loved storytelling. Mm -hmm. And then the evolution of the process for me has just been that I wanted to find a way to tell stories that were truly independent and didn't have to rely on, you have to make so many concessions when you make a film. It's an incredibly difficult process. I think one of the films I worked on uh, was a David Mamet film. It had I think, over 20 producers on it. 
now for various reasons because people are either bringing money or, mm-hmm. or deals to the table or whatever. And I realized now I wanted to make something much simpler. And Piranavision has that simple goal, but it also had to have many moving parts to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly doing it in Los Angeles can be challenging because this is really a business driven and uh you know, the unions are there for a reason to protect people, but they also can be difficult for independent filmmakers to get things done. So there are all these hurdles, but in the end, you know, I'd say 10 years ago, I just was at a turning point where I realized I'm either going to do it this way or I'm going to stop doing it because as we've Mm. discussed before, I have a day job. My day job is working in real estate and it's very practical. You know, we, we develop properties, we manage properties and I love being on a construction site and and working with my hands. I'm a little older now, so I don't do that as much, but that's my day job. And I was thinking, well, maybe I should just do this. But then I realized I'm so completely passionate about storytelling and working with artists that uh, I am probably having more fun now doing Verona Vision than anything else I've ever done in media, so. Oh, wow, that's great. It is. That's great. I mean, I would imagine acquiring homes or acquiring buildings, whatever you're acquiring and renovating them or shaping them and then reselling them is a bit of a narration, a story. You know, it it is. I mean, I know you're really detail oriented because I've experienced that working with you a little bit on other projects. But for me, as an independent curator, I can curate the exhibition and write the statement and do all the research, but having somebody come in and create a film on what I did, I can't even begin. You know, it's, I think it's a way of, you learn how to think. And if you're into film or creating or script writing, I mean, it takes a certain mental state or personality. I'm not even sure what a gift to put all the parts in place each scene, each detail. I mean, to me, that's what it seems like to me. It's quite complex. It is. And, you know, and I've done some directing lately, which I really enjoy as well. And funny enough, constructing a home or a building is actually from, it's almost like being a producer, you're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. But with a home, you have a very, uh, you know what you're going to get, you know, Mm -hmm. and with a film, despite all your best preparation, things can go wrong and you don't know what you're going to get. So that Mm. can be very fun. But the challenge of putting it all together, I mean, I probably get more pleasure out of the creative aspect of directing, but I absolutely love, I love producing because you just have to be on your toes all the time and figure out solutions and constantly change your thinking and evolve and, and listen when you're a good producer, really listen to what uh, people are saying and what's going on. And it, yes, short version is it's incredibly complex, but I love that part of it. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, a, it's like a game, you know. Well, for, for those of us out here that, what, what really is the difference between a director and a producer? Because this is something that, I mean, obviously directing is you're on the set and you're telling the actors what to do. But you know, when you watch a film, you see all these producers on there. Like you said, um, there could be 20 producers. Could you just teach me the, the difference between the two? Well, I can give you a short definition of the difference, say, between the television and film world. So the film world is absolutely director driven and what kind of creative control they get and they are shaping the project generally. And the producers are there to support them. In the television world, it's actually the opposite. The so-called showrunner is usually the creative force behind it. And that person is shaping the screenplays and what the project is. And oftentimes the directors are just brought into, they're kind of blocking the scenes. You know, they're not doing a whole lot creatively. Mm. So that's the difference between television and film. And what we're doing at Vision is probably much more film-based. We are much more, well, I shouldn't say that now that I think of it. It it can be right in the middle, actually, sometimes, because sometimes I'm heavy-handed, you know, producing things, and other times I try and step back and let people just do their thing, uh, directing-wise. So it can be a little bit of both. I think nowadays, in the new media space, what probably drives a lot of young creators 
is their goal to be independent and do it themselves and to not be beholden to anyone. But the bigger the budgets get, the more you are beholden to people, you know, and mm -hmm. only, I mean, famously in the 70s, great directors, I actually worked on his last film, Michael Cimino, you know, he bankrupted a whole studio, United Artists with Heaven's Gate. Mm. And after that, studios were incredibly reluctant to give, uh, you know, sort of carte blanche. The, the title of the book is Final Cut, you know, and it's, it's like, who gets the final cut, the creative choice. Mm -hmm. So in the television world, generally the showrunner would get the creative cut. And in the film world, up until a certain budget, the director will have the creative cut. And I think a lot of people gravitate more towards independent film as directors because they want that, that, that mm -hmm. control to tell mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. Does that help? I don't know if that was. Yeah, true. yeah. No, it's. I mean, I mean, I was embarrassed to ask, but I, I really wanted to know. Um, oh, and I mean, and a last practical thing I can say on a film, a director is really, you know, working to get the script there, involved in the casting, and then the producer is just, you know, putting all putting the financing together, mm -hmm. uh, making sure the deals are there getting the locations going, and then making sure that the wheels stay on during the production. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's much more the practical. Mm -hmm. Do you find that now, kind of like, my family's from England, so we, you know, we immigrated over for that American dream, came to Hollywood, you know, where the streets are paved with gold and there's filled, you know, with opportunity. And my parents would say, you know, in England, we couldn't do this. We couldn't have our own shop or we couldn't, be independent thinkers as much. It, it was a huge class divide. If you didn't have money, you didn't have that uh, flexibility. Now looking at United States, I know that you do work in Europe as well, and you spend a great deal of time in Europe, but if we focus on United States, if we go outside and we see all these independent shops and mom and pop shops still exist, restaurants, you know, everything, you know, the independent person is out there full force. Just kind of what you just mentioned, um, the story about the, the film production house. Do you think there's a rise of independent filmmakers for the same reason to have their own sense of voice and freedom to do as they like, as long as they can get the money to create what they want to create, but also I noticed it's a two-part question. You've been involved in distribution as well. Did you get involved in dis distribution for the same reason, to have your own flexibility to drive the work? Well, to answer your question, starting with the last part of it, I got involved in distribution to kind of learn the murky waters of it because it is, it is where the money flows through in the end and it's how your film gets out there. And it is a very, I'll put the, use the, I was gonna use say treacherous, but let's just call it a tricky world, particularly in independent filmmaking. And however closer you are to the process, you understand exactly where the money comes in and then where it goes. Because, you know, Hollywood is, is notorious for creative accounting and you have to be weary of that in independent film as well. And to the other part, you know, it's an interesting balance because we spend part of our time in Europe and part of our time here. We're also all dual citizens. Um, I've grown up in both places and I see advantages and disadvantages uh, to both. It actually seems harder for me uh, or from my perspective to be independent in the United States these days. And yet there are more people that seem to be motivated for it. Like, you know, you still have, even just using, you know, like your little town as, a, as an, an example, you know, you still have your bakery, your butcher, all these little things in Europe, which you don't have here, you know, everything becomes a, a giant commodity here, right? Mm -hmm. But also have a willingness to explore and try new avenues. And I tried to set up Vision in Europe, but I found it much easier to do here. Hmm. because I found I find that there, there are people are willing to take risks here a little bit more in that in that area. Also you have a subsidy base. A lot of your, your creativity is, is you know sponsored in Europe, which has pluses and minuses as well. Mm -hmm. because on one hand, it allows artists some freedom to do what they're doing, but on the other hand, it doesn't because you kind of have to adhere to, 
whatever the regional rules are. You know, they're also doing it to try and bring money into their local economy. And then they'll, they'll have a board of people who are determining what's the type of content that can be put out. So that doesn't really allow you that much freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, to the last point you brought up about the French New Wave, which is really probably what inspires the filmmaking side of Vision is, you know, that happened at a time when Super 8 cameras were coming out and everything, and it got a lot cheaper to make film. Well, we have the most incredible opportunities now with, you know, say an Apple 13 or whatever to, to film things in a professional looking way. And it's cheaper to make a feature length film than ever before, which wow. is that could, should give people a lot more freedom. But I'm not finding that that always translates, you know. Um, that people are availing themselves, which is kind of why we built Horonavision, because you have this immense gap between what's being done on YouTube and what independent film was. And I kind of jokingly say that independent filmmakers from my generation kind of sit home and cry a little bit about what it used to be like and bemoan it. And then the YouTubers they're going to hate me for saying this, but they're not great at telling long-term stories. You know, they're, they're good mm -hmm. at doing short form and amazingly competent at short form things. And so I feel like if you combine those two worlds and I've had arguments with, with a lot of independent filmmakers, like, oh, you just can't do it that cheap and you can't make it that way. Well, I, I'm out there to try and prove that you can. And that will hopefully give new independent voices, you know, different ways to be seen. I kind of got off topic there a little bit, but- uh, No, it's you know, good, it's good. I'm, the short version is I'm here in Los Angeles because I'm very encouraged by what possibilities there are here. Mm -hmm. And also LA, you know, before the pandemic, it was, it was very exciting, I felt, what was going on in the arts here, like more so than, you know, since when I, I hadn't seen it like that since when I was a kid in the 70s, you know, it's mm -hmm. felt like a long slumber. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see what emerges now with how the things are changing after mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. pandemic, but, mm -hmm. but uh, things are changing. A little bit, mm -hmm. so. Well, being a natural creative thinker that you are, and going back to your detailed articulate self, articulate self, growing up and living your life and being in different environments, whether you're in Europe or here in Los Angeles or anywhere else in the United States. You obviously felt that storytelling was really important. Of course, it's still really important today. I've heard other people in the industry say, you know, it's, it's, it's just as important. Okay, you have the tools. You can, like you say, you can, you, can, you can get your work seen in a variety of ways. But was there something that really inspired you, you know, to continue this sort of storytelling or narration? I mean, is there a certain filmmaker or writer or, you know, what, what, what do you keep going back to for inspiration? I mean, there's inspiration everywhere, but there must be some sort of core. Was it a film that you worked on earlier on or a vision that you had when you were a kid and you're still trying to reach it or, tell it. Does any of that make sense? <laughs> it does. No. I mean, what has inspired me? There are a number of things. I mean, um, I get inspired watching young people make things with how creative they are. I mean, I mm -hmm. think it's incredible. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think, how do I say this safely? So in my, when I was younger, I was, you know, in my youth, I was fairly wild, did a lot of drugs and alcohol and things like that, which I don't do anymore. And I can tell you that the only thing that ever gave me that same experience and that same feeling was when I worked in the arts. I remember walking out of uh, Jonathan Demme's, uh, uh, is it Jonathan Demme who did it? Well, anyway, Stop Making Sense, you know, the talking yeah. heads. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, what an amazing band, right? And David Burns, so talented. And I, and I was stone cold sober and I walked out of there thinking I was high. Like mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. like the experience in that theater and the pounding music and the way it was edited, I was just floored. I've had that experience watching Stanley Kubrick's 2001. I've had that experience watching films from 
if you had to ask me who's my favorite filmmaker, it would probably be, and I'm going to brutalize his name, Krzysztof Kieslowski, Polish filmmaker. You know, watching Red, White, and Blue, I remember uh, wanting to take those. I had, I had rented them from the video store, and I thought, oh, I've got to watch these. You know, it's the thing I should do. And then I had to turn them in the next day, so I thought, all right, I'll just go through, quickly scroll through one of them, and then I'll return the others. So I stayed up all night watching them, right, and just was floored by the experience and what that can convey. And I think what also inspires me even more and more nowadays, we live in this chaotic world that's in transition. That's also why I named my company or this entity after Hieronymus Bosch, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you have people, you have pundits preaching at you, you have politicians on either side telling you things. Well, the arts, when it kind of works for me the most, it's, it's honest and it's visceral. And storytelling is a, an adjacent way of learning something without someone pounding it home to you. Mm-hmm. And it's always how I learn things. And it's what I think is so unbelievably necessary for young people these days. And that's what inspires me, all those various things. And I can just tell you that I am through and through just love what I do. I just love it and it has challenges and all these things, but I think it's necessary. I have fun doing it. And and then when you get a story or a moment in a story that is so powerful, it's fantastic. You know, I I love the other arts. I'd say if I could do music, I'd love to do that. My son does that. And if I could paint, I would do that, but I can't. Not Mm -hmm. very well. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to mention some other films that you worked on that were pretty important to your career um building as a mature person in this world of creating film and producing like some monumental experience you want to share you know i mean the first film i we made my wife and i made together was called the failures and that was that had so many crazy moments in it and and i actually I really like that film. And when you watch it now, I think it's a, it's a fine film. Uh, when I was working on studio films, the last film, I was the uh, uh, assistant to the director, his main assistant uh, to Adrian Lyon on Lolita. And that process, you know, that was a film that had a number of challenges, but it was also an incredible experience. And I worked on that for almost two years, literally from development process through delivery. And a lot of people, you know, the screenplays that were before they picked the final uh, version by Stephen Schiff, Quentin Tarantino, Harold Pinter, David Mamet, they all wrote drafts of the screenplay, you know, which was oh, just, wow. and, uh, and then seeing it through distribution and the challenges for a film with a very tricky subject, oh, it was just, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was an incredible film and, and reached so many different cultures as well, you know, um, the film and the concept, the idea, you know, there's just, there's just, I mean, the idea, there's just a lot, a lot around that film. And we talked about that earlier. You, you know, now I want to read the book. I never read the book, but. The book is remarkable. And the funny thing is you can get caught up in the book, but then you have to realize at some point that, that Nabokov is poking fun at American culture. You know, mm-hmm. we tend to get a little bit, I mean, oh boy, all the people at LACMA are going to hate me when I say this, but you know, you go to to a room in the Louvre and one of those rooms is worthy of a whole museum. And LACMA has a very nice collection, but we had this enormous, when I was working there, a group of guards, you know, and they would, you would get within, you know, six feet of the painting and the guards would be all over, you know, don't get too close and all this stuff. And sometimes in Europe, they just take a much more relaxed view. I think that's a good thing, you know, and Lolita is such an amazing book because it pokes fun at how we can be a little bit too pretentious about the arts in America sometimes. The other thing that's amazing about Lolita is that it's just such a, you know, poke the bear kind of subject Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. would be very difficult to do right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a long, long conversation, much longer than we can do now, but it's a fascinating conversation, I think. And, uh, and I'm also stunned by his mastery of English, you know, someone that was mm-hmm. 
a native Russian speaker and uh, the writing is just incredible, but it's also, he leads you on these tangents where he's just kind of like Alice in Wonderland. He's wanting to, you know, just poke fun at you a little bit, the reader. And then also poking fun of our American Puritanism, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and an archetype that is very interesting, but very difficult. Like right now, it'd be very tough to talk about. One of my other favorite films, um, you know, we've named all these sort of great films, but my favorite comedy of all time is Blazing Saddles. That's you a know, great movie. It's, it's just a great movie. I loved it as a kid and I love it even more now. It used to be the Christmas movie that yeah. we would watch with our kids. And it is so offensive and would bother so many people now, but also a movie that's poking fun at small town America and Western genre and all these things. You know, a lot of people don't realize with the language that Richard Pryor was one of the screenwriters and all these things. And uh, that's just an amazing film, you know. Also, very tough to show right now. Very right, tough. right. Because people don't get the incredible irony of what's going on in that. And they just listen to, you know, clearly completely inappropriate, offensive language and, and you know, racism. But the truth is that he's really poking fun at racism, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. And so I always think, well, maybe in the small, you can't do those in the big world now, but maybe in the small world, we can do some things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's move into Haranavision and what that is about and the garden um, inside Haranavision and a little bit more about the film school that you created. But first, Haranavision, what, what were you thinking when you wanted to put that together? And why is it so important? Um, you've made it super affordable, $1.99, less than a cup of coffee. I was just, the programs that you have on there are great. There's a new one that I didn't see. Maybe it's not new, but the New York Dolls, the one on the New York Dolls. I saw them um, here at the Palladium um, years and years ago <laughs> with the Ramones. Um, and I was pretty young and, uh, but I, that was like, I was watching the trailer for that and I was like, oh my gosh, what an incredible film. It's a great film. It's a great documentary. That was actually part of the, uh, when I, when we sold the distribution company, we basically carved out, uh, the ability to, to still air some of the films from that on our own platform. Uh, it's, it's, you know, now it's with a much bigger company in New York. But we had, uh, yeah, we have the ability to show those. And New York Doll is a great one. Edmund is on there. That's a film that we uh, were one of the producers on. The Failures is on there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a wonderful Patton Oswald film called Big Fan, which he says is his favorite film. And then we put our originals. You know, one of our first, talking about poking the bear, we did one of our first films. And it's just, uh, it's a series. It's feature length, 90 minutes, but it's called Porn. And it's all about you know, the behind the scenes, it's, it's our sort of version of Boogie Nights. And uh, we had real adult performers in that. And, uh, and we tried to be just a fly on the wall and honest, you know, non-judgmental. And uh, I will tell you, you know, I tell this to everybody when they ask about that project that working with people because half of our cast were adult, real adult performers, that I found working with some of those people much easier than working with people in Hollywood. Much more straightforward, less pretension, and uh, yeah. So that was an interesting eye-opener. And also some people incredibly well-read and uh, yeah, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience. And we're actually gonna be releasing the second season in the next few months, the first episodes on that. Then we did a documentary series that kind of evolved out of that called The Love and Sex Project, where we're mm -hmm. just talking to people how relationships mm -hmm. and sexuality are evolving in the 21st century. Then we do a lot of uh, little artist profiles on painters like Shane DeFogg mm -hmm. um, and uh, musicians. Um, yeah, and uh, so we have, we have an eclectic mix on it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted it to be because we also... You know, I used to love going to little independent movie theaters. I used to love going to little galleries, little music venues, all things that have kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make an online venue that felt like that. But we also do have some live events like we did, you know, you're associated uh, with Shane through the Art of Art, which is mm -hmm. a 
Mm -hmm. uh, also one of our new marquee things, you know, 14 LA artists who have, are fascinating and also all deserving more of their uh, creative attention. I mean, some of them have had great other careers, you know, as actors, directors, producers, but they're not known for their painting and they're wonderful painters, a side you don't get to see. That, you know, connecting with you guys on that was just such a pleasure. And I'm, I'm really enjoying working on that. That fits perfectly with our mandate, you know, of people mm -hmm. who deserve to be seen more. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of projects that we do and they're different. They are truly, truly independent. They, they truly are. I did see the porn one, the one on porn, and I did see the, the uh, sex project. I did because yeah. I was, you know what, you know what? I did see them both because I saw a ad for them. One of them was on Instagram and it was like, do you believe in modern romance? You know, it was, it was a very interesting, um, provocative post. And it led me into watching the film. And then I wanted to read more. Um, both of them actually, I thought was quite interesting because you don't know, um, I don't know, I don't know that world. I was curious, you know, I was curious. And I knew that if it was coming from your um, platform, it would be authentic and really worth watching, you know, it was, it would be very considered how it was made and what the story was. So there's a lot of really great pieces on there. But like I said, I, I'm also intrigued by the garden and what that's about. Can you speak a little bit about the garden? Yeah, the garden is our, our written blog. And we also wanted to be, we're very conscious of the fact that even though we're providing mostly video content that we wanted to have you know, in the, in the sense of a literary magazine that we wanted to keep the spoke, you know, the, the word, not the spoken word, but that we wanted people to read. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a wonderful writer named Adam, uh, you know, who Ivy League educated. He probably hates it when I say that, but I always do that. He went to Yale and he's a wonderful writer. He's just a really good writer and uh, very excited now. He's actually also making his first film as a director and screenwriter, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, that's the other thing we try and basically bring a community of people together, but, but the garden, they're just their opinion pieces, their reviews. Um, we are writing, you know, one of our next things to come out is about, and it's also the only free section of the site. Um, and I'll get into that because you mentioned cup of coffee and I want to say why we charge, but the garden is free. And one of our next articles is going to be about why artists should you know, why not have a day job? Everyone thinks that they're sort of not successful as an artist or creator if they, they don't get paid in a certain way. And I always joke, well, then, you know, Van Gogh is a huge failure by those, by those accounts. It's, it's just so important that people have an outlet and that they find a way to survive doing that and to, and to not always have to make compromises. So that's an article in the garden um, and we have fun pieces in there. But the last thing I just want to say is this $1.99 bit and why we do that and why it's cheap. Well, we do it that cheaply so that people will actually pay and afford it and that they won't feel the need to steal the content. But it's also people don't realize that when they sign up for all these social media things, which are, you know, I always joke, I don't like it, but we met through social media, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And through Instagram. So that's a wonderful thing. On the other hand, People don't realize that it's not free, really. You know, you're giving over your data, your your analyst. You know, they're analyzing. They're trying to get information about you. You know, you can't connect that much on Instagram unless your Facebook is connected, and it's just data mining. You know, they're just mm -hmm. collecting. We don't do that. We just say, well, pay for the arts. It's like passing a guy in the hallway in the you know in the metro and just throwing in a a dollar into the hat. And we also say, you know, then, okay, so then it should be cheaper than a cup of coffee, but learn to pay for it again, because artists, you know, musicians, unless they are big touring acts, have a really hard time surviving these days. You know, you know, the gallery world, I'm sure that's also challenging. How do people mm -hmm. survive? Well, we're trying to find ways to make that, you know, basically people change their opinion on paying for the arts. You know, YouTube and all those things are great, but it has given the expectation of free and the funny thing is, it's really not free because all the data you're giving away is, is you should consider that valuable, to be honest. So, mm -hmm. 
I, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because it comes up a lot. Well, what's up with the price? You know, so. I think it's nothing. I mean, I always say this and maybe people don't like it, but I think that artists and people in the arts should be accountable and they should pitch in. And I'm always trying to inspire people to collect art. And I think a lot of people do collect art and they don't even realize it. They think that they have to make these extravagant purchases to be an art collector. And I don't believe that. I think uh, some people and personalities are natural collectors. They collect things. And if you're an artist, you know, chip in and, and collect or trade art, you know, like share in the industry, share in the world, share these stories and these narrations and these thoughts and communications that people are transmitting, whether it's visual or audio or by film, just partake in it, be a part of the, commu the community and, and commerce, frankly, you know, just be accountable for that and bring some value to that, to your, to your fellow artists. A dollar 99 is nothing. And I think when we take it a little bit more seriously, we, we put in a bit more depth into what we're watching or- I agree. I yeah, agree. that's my personal thing. I'm a bit tough on that, but I, I do believe that. But you've got this film school as well. And that helps. Tell us about the film school and how that works. Well, when we set everything up, I realized, because obviously, you know, with my background and my interest, the film portion, and it is, you know, we say movies, music, art, and the movies comes first because that's what we focus on. I realized to do what I wanted to do, and we had, when we started the, the Watch Meet Make, uh, we had uh, internships, and we ended up having... 720 submissions, I think, over two years. And then we whittled that down to about 40 people. And we had a, <laughs> like an incredibly rigorous thing we put people through for doing research. And what, I, what came out of that was also an education for me, which is, you know, what, because we had people from all the film schools, UCLA, USC, NYU. Um, we had people from Ivy Leagues, uh, you know. What was, you know, being taught essentially and I realized that there was something missing for what I wanted to do. And ours is very, very theory heavy. And yet in a way that we felt we tried to make it digestible. And the reason for that is that there are a million webs, you know, websites out there that teach you about cameras and all these things, but there's not a lot that teaches you the whole process or that talks about storytelling or you know, acting and things like that. And so we created a lot of short YouTube videos. Our very first video is on the French New Wave versus YouTube and kind of what it's, it really is what inspired us. And that if you watch that, it's, it's on the Watch Me Make site and it's called literally that, uh, YouTube versus the French New Wave. But that explains what our, our mission was and our mandate. And at some point I just realized we're just gonna make this free because I also believe a lot of education should be free you know, in Europe education is free and you can spend a lot of money on film school and I would advocate take that money and make a movie you know you'll yeah. learn along the way that's kind of the way I did it and you'll have a product at the end of it uh, you know some of these film schools actually won't let you own what you produce wow. and just don't understand that um, yeah that's so that's why we created watch me make and it is you know, watch is really what you should be seeing. So it's kind of a, 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 a breakdown of films, you know, everything from Charlie Chaplin to American classics, you know, the 70s to some web things. Meet are the people that you should know about, you know, the people that were game changers. Mm -hmm. And then make is a six part, everything from development through distribution on what you need to know. And it's basic, mm. but we also provide resources in there and it's all free and we provide resources to where people can find more books and things like that. And we've, we've had a great time making it. It probably took a little more time than I wanted and, and, and cost to put it together, but I think it's really important. And how it connects to Verona Vision is that 
I don't have the time because I'm spinning so many plates to teach a young filmmaker who comes from YouTube about this whole process. So then I say to them, go to Watch Me Make, learn a little bit there and then come back to us and we can have a conversation. But I, I can't take the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to sort of explain it to you. I can explain to you, you know, the, the 2.0 or 3.0 version, but I can't explain the 1.0. So Watch Me Make is just designed to be an entry level for filmmakers to learn the basics. Right. That's so good. That's such an amazing thing that you created. It's fun. I really like it. And it, it has some, some video essays in there that we're really proud of. We have one uh, breaking down how Orson Welles' Citizen Kane was filmed and the lighting in it. Uh, we have some great ones on Charlie Chaplin, who was one of my heroes, you know, filmmaking heroes. I didn't mention him when I mentioned all the others, but I, I loved watching Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, and then there's there are just some really good articles in there as well. So well written. Okay, as thank you for that. As as we kind of wind down and, and come to a close, I always like to ask people like yourself who have so much knowledge and experience and, and time and also reflection, given you've got her on a vision, watch me make and other things that you do. What would be your advice to the inspiring filmmaker, um, young or old? What could you share with them? What, you know, what, what could it be? Any kind of advice? I think, you know, the, the term artist is thrown around a lot, maybe creator safer, but, it, but mm -hmm. just do it, you know, go out there and make it. Don't, don't take time to wait and think and, and debate. And I also tell this to young filmmakers, if, if you want to write that big action film and that's what you want to do, go ahead. But if you want to get something made, write something small that can be done. You know, one of my favorite films is called My Dinner with Andre. You know, it's an old Louis Malle film. Mm -hmm. uh, Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn just sitting at a table discussing something. Now, in theory, that should be boring as sin. And it's fascinating because they're fascinating. And so- I love that film. I love that film. And so- <laughs> And that's a film that I used to draw on for inspiration. But I also, you know, I like Blazing Saddles. I like Hollywood movies. Just go out and tell stories. Start somewhere. And you, anyone, anyone today has the means with, a, with the cameras that are available. If you like music, my son taught himself how to play guitar on YouTube. You know, if you like to paint, anyone can do that. And just do it. I think educating yourself and finding the people that inspire you is very important and following that path. You know, a lot of people don't think about the fact that early artists just mimicked other artists. I mean, Shane, I love Shane showing how he did, you know, early Rembrandts or, you know, a lot of people in the classical world forget the fact that all early Mozart sounds like Haydn because he was copying him. All early Beethoven sounds like Mozart because he was copying him. And all early Schubert sounds like Beethoven because he was copying him. And then they developed their own style, but they had mm -hmm. this continuity. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say is just, I, I do believe the arts couldn't be more important right now with what's going on because the world is in chaos. And I used to joke with friends that you know, the Weimar Republic is probably the most apt comparison. You know, we have a lot of sort of right-wing things happening and people have distinct views and why do they have those views? I want to <clears throat> understand why someone has those views. And it's because the world's changing, you know, it's in chaos. People are frightened. They feel left behind. And I feel like the arts are a way to communicate with them, again, without pundits, without religion that has sort of failed and people don't believe in. The only thing that's frightening to me right now is that, you know, the Weimar Republic, I joke, it's like that, but without war. Well, now we have the war and people need to talk about that. They need to show that, you know, they need to not think that their activism is just on social media. That's not really activism. You know? That's just basically putting your mind out there as easily as possible and, and not really following up on it. And so, you know, artists can do incredible things and stage things and you know, think of all those Weimar artists who had their work confiscated because they were saying outrageous things and frightened the Germans at the time. I just think couldn't be more important times and people should just go do it. And uh, if we are, you know, a small toe in the water to help that, then that's what we want to do. The mm -hmm. what, um, what, do you, what do you say to the persons that says, 
okay, I'm gonna go do it. I'm doing it, but I can't edit. I don't know how to edit. I'm not good at editing. What am I gonna do about editing? What, what do you say to that person? Well, so that's, again, yes, this always sounds like a plug for Horonavision, which a little bit of it is, of course, but you know, we're cre we created Horonavision to create a community of people so that all those people could learn and work together. But you also have to be kind of pre-vetted. You don't have to be an expert at what you do. You just have to show that you're committed to it. I will say that if somebody wants to edit YouTube, what's amazing, YouTube is the greatest platform for learning opportunities, you know, online. And so you can learn so much that way. But the other part of editing, for example, if you wanted to edit, and that's where Watch Me Make would come in, you need to know what films to watch so that you mm -hmm. can develop a style it's not just about putting things together, it's about how can you evoke a feeling? And it's amazing what an editor can do, you know? Uh, so I would say avail yourself to whatever you can find online. I don't think it's necessary to spend money to go do the classes. And then let your passion come also through what you, you consume, what you see. You know, you have the choice of watching some stupid sitcom or, you know, that's not well written and not, you know, it's just basically fast food. And I'm not, I love commercial things. I'm not, you know, sitting know. on the yeah. high horse. But then I'd say, well, why don't you watch Blazing Saddles instead, you know, and see like how he put this incredible film together with these undertones that's also completely outrageous. Spend your time on that, you know. So it's a matter of, of willingness and, and just taking those first steps to dive in. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people sort of expect things to be spoon fed mm -hmm. and that gets you anyway. You know, you just gotta go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you so much. That last part sounded really preachy and my kids, I, I can tell they'd be like falling asleep or plugging their ears. They're always like, you should go be, just become a professor. And, uh, <laughs> And I know I go off in that direction, but I am passionate about this stuff. It's uh, no, so. no, no. I mean, that's that's where the watch me make um, comes in. No, it's great because it's like I'm always trying to better myself at writing, you know, writing um, essays and things like that. And and it's the same thing. It's like, well, at, there's so many people out there that write, but you want to actually read good literature. That's it. You know, so you know, the Brits have a completely different system of teaching writing. You know, we get all caught up in grammar early on. They get caught up in imitation. You know, you have to imitate Dickens and things like that so that you learn the flow of the language and all that. And I just think you get so much out of that. And writing, anytime a writer comes to me about stuff and says, I'd say it's just all about rewriting. You know, you just have to keep writing and rewriting and rewriting. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully you'll have those moments where something, a gem comes out of it. But you're absolutely right. It's what you read as well is a big part of writing. Well, well, what, I, what I'm, that's just an example when you're saying, you know, you're saying consider watching one of the films that we recommend on Watch Me Make instead of a repeat of the same episode that you've already seen on TV of a program that you already know what's going to happen. It's not just filling your brain, you know, just sensory gelling out for the evening. Actually yeah. take the time and, and you hear some suggestions. I mean, I, I minored in French film and at art school. And so, I mean, I, I've watched a lot of those films and I, they're still in my, they're still very clear in my consciousness. All, a lot of, um, a lot of scenes are still there because they were so, impactful from the French New Wave and they're incredible pieces and they make you think, you know, year after year after year, recalling that scene. You contemplate. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's in our piece on YouTube versus the French New Wave. You know, when you think of all those French New Wave directors, they were very educated, you know, they were, they really knew their history and I think it does come down to that. I mean, everybody needs popcorn and needs to be able to gel and watch something that their brain turns off. And I like to do that too, but there's no reason why you can't, you know, get a gourmet popcorn, so to speak, and, and make something a little bit better. And I do, it's so corny, but that 10,000 hours thing, that does make a difference. You know, artists look at Shane. I mean, look at how much he paints, you know, 
artists need to be doing it. They need to create. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and, and to our first series, uh, Porn, that was a learning process for us of trying to establish, could you shoot in this style this way? And it absolutely proved it. But creatively, I go, oh, the second season is, is much more interesting, in my opinion, because we also learn. We learn better storytelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I just think, you know, people should go out there. They should find the things that they're passionate about. And they're, they're usually a wonderful artist who has something to say or comment or inspire along those lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you again. Thank you for spending the time to let me ask you questions and pick your brain and, and learn more about your world and how it, how it was shaped. Thank you. And I, you know, it's, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and how you found us and, you know, because it also took some insight, you know, cause we're not, we're still just learning the marketing game and you saw through all that and you got it, which, which I really appreciate as well and speaks yeah. to all the things that you've done and uh, working on the art of art has, has uh, been a lot of fun. You know, James, I have these great guys who I just want to mention quickly. Now I have uh, James, uh, Tyler, Adam, and then we have Gabby in New York who's helping us with social media. But James, when he started working on the art of art, he said, I just want to go out and paint now. I want to learn and pick up a brush and paint. And to me, that is about as exciting as what we're doing as if somebody has that feeling, you know, by, by something that they see. It's true. I mean, you, you said it, you said it twice. It's feeling, it's creating the feeling, mm-hmm. you know, that people, you don't think about that. You're creating a feeling through these films. And I think I forgot about that, but that's what you're doing. You're creating a feeling and that feeling rouses up the emotions and you learn something or you experience something. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it is, you know, I've been talking a lot now and that's, that's sort of the intellectual part of it. But in the end, if something you do doesn't evoke that feeling, then you kind of miss the mark a little bit, right? And so that's, you know, that's what inspires me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to feel that feeling and, and genuine art does that, right? It just mm-hmm. sort of brings you in and uh, motivates you, motivates me. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you so much, Um, it was a great pleasure. And uh, I'm gonna, um, on the details of this uh, podcast, I'm gonna put all of the information about um, Heronavision and Watch Meet Make and um, anybody who wants to get a hold of you and ask questions, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. I Thank appreciate you. that. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much, Felix. Thanks. You too, Victoria.